0: I can't even believe that we get to sit here and have a conversation as not just colleagues, but friends. And I'm honored to get to know you better, not just as a professional, but as a person. So thanks for including me in this process. I mean, thank you for doing this.
1: I'm nervous as I'll get out. It's very (laughs) different being on this side of the table than being on your side of the table, which you will soon see, although you've been on this side, the side that I'm on now for a while. But I could not be happier. I would not have ever wanted another person to flip this script with. So thank you for
0: doing this Russell. It well, a lot. I'm honored by it and I love your approach in deep dive because it's a it allowed us it allowed me as a listener mm-hmm. to know some of the leaders that I admire and follow and learn from in a different way and I think that's the power not just a deep dive but I think it's the power of you as a person and Thank you. Um, I think the power that you bring to your company. Thank um, you. which is you know, changing lives all over the country and changing schools in the process.
1: Well, it's interesting because when I started Deep Dives, I did not, I started it for the 20 clients I had thinking, hey, y'all could just share ideas. We could just talk about things that are important to us. And and the fact that it has grown so much, so fast to have this many listeners, it's humbling, it's scary. I'm literally just having conversations. So yeah. sometimes I say to myself, oh gosh, what happens if I don't have anything else to say? <laughs> But if if you know me, that has not happened yet, in all the years I've been on this earth, I think we'll be fine.
0: But what I've enjoyed about it is that they are just conversations with yeah. two people that you can tell have some mutual respect and that it's not filtered and it's not designed to push or to sell. It's just designed to understand. 100%. So thank you for that. You so I'm looking welcome. forward to flipping the script and understanding you. Thank you. So um, how did you get to college? What was mm. your journey to your institution?
1: Oh, okay, so my undergrad was at a historically black college, um, Bethune Cookman in Daytona. And um, this is actually part of, and you know, as I reflect on this, I'm sitting here thinking about it, it's probably a lot of the reason why I started Swim Digital Group, you know subconsciously because. My sister and I were first generation students. My mom and dad did not go to college. They did not get college degrees. But what they did do very similar to anybody else who has parents, they want their generation, their offspring yeah. to have a better life than they did. So, you know, that what they did was they just constantly said, "You're going to college." And that's all they used to ever say. "You're going to college. So You're going you, to college."
0: You grew up knowing you were going to college even though your parents didn't. I grew up knowing that my parents said, you've got to go to college,
1: okay. but they don't know how to get me in college. I didn't know how to get myself in college. I just knew there was this looming thing called college once right. I graduated, and I had to somehow figure it out. And you know, as I made the decision on what schools I wanted to go to- well, So yeah. you knew you had to figure it out.
0: How did you figure it out?
1: Well, that's the hard part, right? So I said, when I graduate, I'll never forget it. I graduated on a Saturday. That next Tuesday, I said, I've got to start applying
0: to colleges. So you started applying after you graduated high school. Exactly. So at that point, you didn't have a high school counselor or a teacher talk you through the process, encourage the process. Well, then that makes the facts that you're sitting here even more powerful because how many of our neighbors and communities across the country Figure out how to do that on their own? How did you figure out how to do that on your own?
1: So I said, okay, well, what schools would I ever want to go to? And I applied to some schools that were absolutely ridiculous because I had no planning prior to. Um, I'm too embarrassed because I'm pretty sure a lot of these people that are listening graduated from some of those schools. (laughs) So, you know, I was applying to all these ridiculous schools that, of course, probably said, you know, hey, Tremika, hell no, thank you very much. But then I applied to historically black colleges because a lot of my life, my parents put me through school where I wasn't around a lot of people that looked like me. And I wanted to figure out who I was, who I came from, what was my what, what stock was I made from. So yeah. I applied to different historically black colleges, but the way that I applied is important, right? So I said, okay, well, I'm already in Daytona. So let me just go to this historically black, the HBCU that's there. So I walked into the admissions office. And when I walked into the admissions office, this was probably like that next week, sometime during that week, I don't know when. But it was pretty close after graduation. I said, hey, I want to go to school here. What do I need to do? That was exactly what I said, right? Now, anyone who's listening. Oh, wait, go ahead.
0: Yeah, yeah. But you had the wherewithal and the courage to walk in and say, I want to go to school here. What do I do? Where did that courage come from?
1: I think it came from a complete desire to, I didn't know what I needed or wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to do something and I knew I was put on this earth to be something. What it was, I didn't know. So in that, I know there's something, but I gotta figure out what it is my ignorance gave me the courage. So sometimes what you don't know helps you, right? Yeah. So I had no idea that there were, and I use this, and I think I've said it to you a thousand times. I didn't know that there was a haunted house of admissions, right? Yeah. Where you go, boo, you gotta get shots and <laughs> immunizations. Yeah. And boo, oh, those transcripts, dang it, I didn't get those after before graduation, You know, I, I didn't yeah. know that. So I just walked right in, hey, I just wanna go to school. And so here's the interesting part. I remember how I felt when I was walking out. So here's what happened when I walked in. Hey, I wanna go to college, tell me what to do. And so this woman gives me this sheet of paper and it had literally 33 things I needed to get done in order to even register for class. And I remember holding that sheet of paper and just crying like, I don't even know if my parents know how to help me do this. So how am I gonna do it? So I didn't know what else to do. So I went and talked to my pastor at the church and Mm. he helped me get through it. Now. There's a couple of things I wanna unpack with this, right? And I never thought about it at the time. I honestly thought this is just what happens to everybody that has to go to college, right? But when I, as I've been at SWIM, and when I started SWIM, and the more exposure I've had to the community colleges and the historically black colleges we work with, I realized this is where we fail our babies, right? They walk in terrified and looking for validation, and we give them a list of things with a list of words- that they've never heard before. They don't understand these acronyms. They don't know what a FAFSA is. And seeing that, and then this big, massive, long definition, and I remember being so overwhelmed. And if I didn't have that pastor say, I've got you, hold on, we're gonna talk to such and such. She's a counselor over at Embry-Riddle. She'll be able to help you get through it. If I didn't have that, and if I didn't have the courage, because most people would just ball that sheet of paper up and not go back, right? Right. And so I just knew there was something there. And so after I got through this long list, right, I then realized Okay, well, now I have to choose my classes and I have no idea. And oh, by the way, I'm gonna start with something else, very important. And I'm gonna start it thinking about community colleges and historically black college hat as a student and as an administrator. That whole 150% of the time is how we measure students complete. That's true, because guess what? When you don't have effective advising and retention policies, it took me an extra year and a half to graduate because I was taking a boatload of classes I had no business taking. And so I realized then, not then, when I was taking all the classes so that I know until it's too late. But I realized when I got admitted in school, like I want to be bigger and better than anything in the world that my parents imagined I could be. So, what did I want to do? I wanted to be a reporter. Did I ever tell you that, Russell?
0: No, you didn't tell me. So, but I want to unpack some things. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So, before we even get to the picking of the classes, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is an important thing in picking a career path or whatever. There are so many landmines that you survived that so many people don't. And when I became president of Marilla College, one of the first things I did was a secret shopper mm-hmm. experience to explore our onboarding. And what I kept hearing over and over and over from our students is how much fear they brought to the process. Mm-hmm. They're petrified of not knowing or understanding. And then we, we were better than a list of thirty-three. We had a list of fifteen. Yeah, and the third item was getting in the a land viral of the meningitis. Blind, the one-eyed man right. is king, I guess. <laughs> the third thing on the list was get a viral meningitis vaccination. inside yep. cited a state law. <laughs> and one of our secret shoppers was like, when I showed this list to my mom, she took it to her pastor. Yep, yep. In her <laughs> church or the priest in her church, because they were like, "You mean going to school can make you sick?" Like. I don't think we fully understood at the time and we still struggle. And when I say we, I'm not just talking about in rural college. I'm saying higher education period. We still struggle demystifying that process and honoring our students through it. So every step of the way is a landmine Mm -hmm. that would stop a student from ever entering college. So you, you survived several landmines. Yep. One of them, I'll
1: never forget it. The first thing they do is they tell you the price per credit hour. But they don't say, oh, and here's ways to pay for school. Yeah. Everybody throws a FAFSA at you. But at the end of the day, there's other ways. I, If I would have known the opportunities and the scholarships that were available, I promise you, I would not still have student loans at this time, right? But we have so many landmines in that admissions process that obviously there's some things we do have to talk about during the admissions process. But there's ways. It's not, hey, by the way, it's $175 a credit hour. And oh, click here to fill right. out your financial aid Information. No, click here to learn how ways to pay for college. There's ways to pay other than just financial aid.
0: But your experience exemplifies the biggest barrier that we build in higher education, which our systems are built on an assumption that you know.
1: That we know. And I promise you, I have no idea, I had no clue. I only knew the directions to get to that admissions office. Everything beyond that I was just putting in their hands.
0: I would say even as someone who my mom had a master's degree. I didn't know the different ways to pay for school. My family couldn't afford it, and I just completed my loan payments 2 months ago. Well, congratulations. I'm jealous about that. Right. That's crazy. I, I paid student loans till I was 52 years old. Yep. Yeah. And I had scholarships. I mean, it's just crazy. The system is broken. Your experience I think illuminates why your company is so powerful. Thank you. So, before we come back to the process of picking classes in a career, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. already I understand more deeply why you're committed to this work. Yeah, and you know, I get very passionate about this
1: stuff, and it's because Because I know these people because I am them, right? I had no idea that this was an opportunity for me, I just knew I wanted to be better. It amazes me at how much we as an industry assume. That these people walk in with confidence and self assurance that they can do it. Like, why would you assume that? Nine times out of 10, they're a first generation student. Nine times out of 10, they're a person of color who have had and heard and seen yeah. all the ways that they can't.
0: Yeah. But yet, and still, we assume they just know they can. Do you know what I mean? I do. And our students, like at Amarillo College, that whole culture of caring was based upon our students telling us those experiences, that mm-hmm. they walked on our campus wearing a cloak of fear that mm. we didn't understand. We thought, "Oh, we're the solution. They knew we were the solution, but we, they also knew we were the barrier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's why yes is one of the values that the students wrote for our college because their life, not just at Amarillo College, but in school leading up to college at work at home in the neighborhoods was defined by no, no, what they couldn't do. Exactly. So in that reality, yeah, where you still fought through it, but you fought through it, you knew you needed it. Mm-hmm. Your parents instilled some kind of understanding and commitment that you needed to be more. Mm-hmm. And when you got this list of 33 things, you didn't crumble it up. You went to a pastor. Why did you not go to a teacher or a counselor or an educator? Huh, that's a good question. When I think about my senior year
1: and I think about my guidance counselor, I'll never forget my guidance counselor session that I had. She looked and she said, okay, well, what's your plans after graduation? And I said, I'm gonna go to college. And I remember her checking off on a sheet of paper and she said, that's great. Do you have any questions for me? So I think that we sometimes assume that there's this Mr. or Mrs. Rogers in these guidance counselor offices that are holding these students' hands and walking and shepherding them through their senior year into your classroom. No, ma'am. Right. They are checking off this sheet of paper of criteria that they have to do for every student in their senior year. And if they don't know that student by name, guess what Trameka ain't getting? Trameka ain't getting the attention she needs to know how to go to Bethune-Cookman and already know the 33 steps, already get the transcripts. Because I mean, I remember- Waiting four weeks to get these transcripts from literally yeah. two miles from each other because at that time, remember I'm old, so we had they had to print them, <laughs> seal them, put their name on it, and then they had to be couriered over there,
0: and you're lucky it, it had happened in four weeks right, yeah,
1: and so I couldn't register for class. do you know what I'm saying yeah, so it's it was just it was a really, really hard challenge for me to think about talking to one of my teachers from my senior year, because I could they didn't know me, they didn't connect with me, and they didn't try
0: to. The, so the reason I'm pushing on that issue uh-huh. is because I sat in a meeting yesterday with our local foundation mm-hmm. that has just conducted really robust research with graduating high school seniors. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions they asked was, who influences your decision making about going to college the most? And we all went into that question, thinking that we were gonna get a specific teacher's name or a counselor's name or a principal's name. And educators weren't even in the top five on the list. Wow. It was family, minister, boss, neighbor. Really? Like, so you're affirming to me that in education, we have this lens. That because we care about our students. They know it and feel it. They know it and feel it and that if they need something they would ask. But the students don't feel that same sense of connection. No. And the outcome of that lack of connection, unless a student has this drive that you have, is gonna destroy our country.
1: I completely agree. Think about this, right? Everybody always talks about one of the greatest fear is the fear of the unknown. Think about the first day of class. You've got four years of nothing but the unknown. Yeah. So I am supposed to be fearful. I have no idea of the path, the room, the class, the curriculum, if I can do it or if I can't, right? And in addition to that, yes, no one's fighting. You love the students. You care about the students. Everybody loves students. Love, 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 love. Guess what? That student doesn't know that, all they feel is fear. All they see is a person sitting at the computer who may or may not have gotten a grumpy note from their boss, and then now they're getting cranky with me. So you might love me in five minutes, but right now I'm feeling like I don't belong here.
0: Well, you know, I mean, we've talked about Amarillo College's commitment to loving our students' success, but people think that that is an emotive, emotional commitment. And it's structural for this reason. Exactly. Students have to know it and feel it and experience it. Mm -hmm. And it means having people in the parking lots walking into the class on the first day. It means not giving them a list of 33 things to do. Bingo. But saying, this is the first thing, let me do it with you. Absolutely. So you took that list to your pastor. Took him to the pastor. Tell me about that conversation.
1: So I wanna go to Cookman. I have this list of things I need to do. I don't know who to go to to get them. And he was like, "Well, let me see the list." And he shows me the list. And he's literally said, "You know, this. You know, you'll need to go back to your guidance counselor and get this official transcript." Who's your guidance counselor? And I told him the guidance counselor. And so he said, "Okay, well, I can just call the school." So he called the school. So, so he took the first bingo. He, you had an advocate. Yep. And he called the school, he started the process for me to get the transcript. And then he picked up the phone and called a guidance counselor over at another school that was a friend of his. So she now was not working in her capacity. She was just helping me through this admissions process for another school that's down the street to be able to say, you know, let's walk through what each one of these mean and let's talk about where you can get them from. You know, because how do I go to my parents and say, hey, I need the past couple of years of your taxes? Like they're going to be like, you are 18. Yeah. What the heck do you need my taxes for? So there's just conversations that. We take for granted that has to happen with a child or a person who has no concept. And I'm not even gonna say a child. I shouldn't have said that. You know why? Because you could be 28, you could be 38, you could be 48, and guess what? That list would yeah. still intimidate. Think about how intimidating it is when you moved into your first house or you had to turn on all those lights and all of the electricity in your first apartment. You weren't 18, so most likely. You were probably 20, you were probably 25, and it was still scary. It's no different than that,
0: you know? I am fascinated by this research that's it has been a, a whole line of research in healthcare and it's mm-hmm. all about patient compliance. And I think there's so much crossover because the best patient compliant outcomes they have is when the patient has an advocate with them talking to the doctor wow. because the patient is processing whatever information, they're processing their fear, they're processing the implications for work and family and they don't know they can't process the questions oh, to ask. Yeah. So you, having an advocate increases outcomes. And I think what you're articulating and is higher ed for first gen students in particular. But I would say this is for every student. everybody. They've got to have an advocate. Mm. And if they don't bring one, we need to be it. We've got to provide it.
1: Yeah, we have to be it.
0: So you had an advocate. What was? Do you remember your pastor's name? Oh yeah, Pastor Jones. So he changed your life in a lot yeah, of ways. I mean. It, If you think about it in context to,
1: you know, how much I have accomplished in in a, I'd like to say a short period of time, he changed my life in every way, right? If I wouldn't have gone to college, I would have zero context to the stuff that I've been able to do and see at such a young age. It's interesting because now, um, as you can tell, I have much more gray. (laughs) But, you know, I remember as I've grown through my professional career, people would always say, how old? You, because they could not understand. How are you doing all this? And you're only, you know, 23, and you're only 22. But you know, it. I would not have done this. I would not have had the confidence to feel like I had an advocate. I had a person. If it wasn't for Pastor Jones,
0: I think it's really important to for us to hear who those life changers are Mm -hmm. in students' lives because they're not often us, and we want to celebrate in higher education our impact on students. But. If we really want to change our communities, we have to have relationships with pastors, with secretaries, with checkers.
1: Absolutely.
0: With anyone that comes in contact with other people. They need to be a partner in this work. To be able to be an
1: advocate for people making lives better. I think, too, excuse me, one of the things that's the most important to me for the work that we're doing, you know, my parents, regardless of whether they had a degree or not, were very successful up until their retirement. They have done and sacrificed so much for me and Tariqa to be who we are. I think one of the biggest things that they could have given me is the thirst to want and crave to be in a place that nobody else has done or been in. Because in that space, you can define it, right? And the reason I'm, I'm bringing that up in context of this is- this didn't happen. My parents didn't wake up when I was seventeen and eighteen and say, "All of a sudden, be in a place that no one is." And defi- they started as an in, like yeah. chill, as a child. Me and Tarika, they, my mom would play this game and say, "If you could be anything in the world, what would you be? If you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go? Then let's go there. How do we get there?" Like these are things that they, they train you to dream. As, right.
0: Yeah.
1: Every person doesn't have
0: that. Yeah.
1: And it blows my mind the assumptions that we have as an industry that people do yeah so then what happens is we sit in these sessions and we say okay what do you want to do what degree do you want (laughs) to have whatever
0: my options. what is a degree
1: right what what are my options right because even with my mom saying all of that i said okay i'm gonna be like i told you i want to be a reporter and i will never forget it i sat in um, my first talk talk where a professional reporter came and spoke to the class and i was a freshman first semester and somebody raised their hand cuz you know we're kids and we're recruited we to the chase nobody has time for this fluff stuff right how much money do you make right. and how much what's your how much you going to be able to make in 10 years and so this woman said oh you know i make $28,000 but if i work really hard i'll get to like 50 cuz she was like a reporter in the local news and i packed up my bags i said <laughs> Boop, nope i'm not getting right. first of all i did really? the math i'm like um, first of all i think my degree costs more <laughs> than that. <laughs> That's not gonna work. So I backed up my bags and I go to the head of communications. And I said, you know, every homecoming, he always brings this up after all these years. You know, I have bad news. I don't think I want to be on TV. I think I want to own the station. <laughs> he died That's laughing. That's what you told That's him? That's what I told him. And do you know what he did? He said, you know what? Hold on one second. He called the head of the business building and he said, can we schedule a meeting Tomorrow afternoon, I want you to meet this young lady, and we need to figure out what classes she can transfer over, what classes can't transfer over, what can we make as electives. And we met with the two, I'd met with the two department heads and the head of advising. And by that Monday, I had switched my major from that one piece of courage to be like, these people ain't making enough money for me.
0: (laughs) So kudos for you for asking that question, for one. Because I think, especially for our students that are first generation and have grown up in generational poverty, Mm -hmm. they think any job pays well. That's not the job that they've seen their families. They think every degree leads to a well paying job and it doesn't. Mm -mm. And I think your experience points to why we have to be more transparent about what those career outcomes are. But there's something really important that you just articulated that doesn't happen very often in higher education. You went and spoke to the dean yeah. or an administrator in a discipline and basically said, I don't want to be in this discipline anymore. Yes. <laughs> and he didn't try to talk you no. out of it. And he didn't say, well, you need to go to the registrar. He advocated for you to get you where you needed to go. Mm-hmm. He did. I will That's never forget awesome.
1: it. I will never forget it. I mean, it's it changed You know, as I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm thinking about for people to believe that success is because a person works hard and they try the best. I mean, that's crap, right? At the end of the day, you have to work hard. You have to do the best you can because that's the ticket to play. But really, success lies in the gap of people who help and mold and guide. And a lot of that is a toss of the coin of who you get on that day, on that time, who did they get in an argument, argument with the day before or didn't in terms of the mood of when they come to you? I've been very lucky. A lot of this is
0: luck. Well, I would it- say from what I've heard though, you also made your own luck. And what worries me the most is that you were so driven that you were going to make it happen. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. You were gonna make it happen. Now, you made your luck by going to make it happen. Yeah. So there was certainly, you found some advantages. And experiences that a lot of students don't get, but it was also because you demanded them. I did them. You know me well. Don't I did. Yeah, <laughs> I demanded. You demanded them, and <laughs> we want every student to demand them. Uh, you're right. You're absolutely right. So, and- how do you, knowing that your experience mm-hmm. isn't the norm, right, and you've worked with a lot of schools, right, and you may not have thought that you were building intentional systems that advocated for students and gave them the courage have you seen places where what you experienced because you asked for it other students experience because it's systemic and intentional design
1: yes i can't tell you enough the schools that i have seen that i've been humbled at how much compassion lives in certain areas right so you know i'm and i'm talking specifically about just for example i'll give you an example better so Amarillo, your ARC program, ha- and, and it's not just because I'm looking at you. You can listen to yeah. all my other podcasts. I talk about your ARC program, right? And at your resource center, what I love about it is how demystified you've taken away that stigma of poverty. Yeah. And you've said, at any point, all of us need help. Yeah. We're getting ready to put this thing right in the middle of the coolest place in our entire on our entire campus so that it's just a normal part of life. It's not a big deal, everybody goes and does. And I, I think this is systemic, right? This is something that is a living, breathing organism within your institution yeah. that's not gonna change. What I've also seen, and actually President Greg Hale is going to be in on season two, what he's done with Broward Up every time, like even right now I'm getting goosebumps. Yeah. Because what he's done is he's taken that, every single barrier that can happen in his lowest income communities. All of it in terms of why they can't make their life better. He's taken them away, Russell. Yeah, it's it blows amazing. my mind it what this man chills. has done. And you know what President Tanja Williams did at SPC with the college experience, and I am a little biased because we built, built the processes and the communications for it. But the actual model itself, what she built with the school and the way that she transferred the ownership to the academic advisors and the faculty, to this day, it blows my mind and it's been seven years.
0: But- You've helped schools build those systems, right? in some cases, to avoid this, your own lived experience. Exactly, every single time. So did you know that
1: that's what you were doing? No, I didn't. It's funny you bring this up because I didn't realize a lot of this stuff until you just told it to me. I'm, this is all, first of all, I'm so nervous because I've never <laughs> been in a place where I'm like, this is being recorded and this man is asking me questions I don't know he's gonna ask. But it's really given me an opportunity to reflect. On what I've been doing this whole time is every time I think that something could have created a barrier to make it hard for me, I say, nope, it's gotta come out. Because yeah. I remember St. Pete, too. Okay, so, okay, I hope that Tanja's not gonna kill me, but we did this thing where her whole college is like, no, everything's fine, everything's fine. We're communicating just fine, just fine. Everybody wants 17 emails and text messages a day, Shamika. Yeah. Go, bye. Welcome to every higher ed institution, right. <laughs> unfortunately. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I said, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna create St. Pete Susie. And so we did this little stick figure, and then we showed St. Pete Susie's week of exactly all the communications and all the things that happened, and we just showed it to the whole college. We were like, how do you feel about what St. Pete Susie's getting? Do you think that you would respond after St. Pete Susie got seven text messages this week, four emails this week, two phone calls this week with the same script? How do you feel about it? You know, And at that time, and and those of you who know me and Dr. Williams, we are dear, dear friends now, but I promise you we were not (laughs) dear, dear friends then. How about that?
0: You know, and- Because that's painful to hear because they were doing it like we all do for the right reason. Right,
1: Yeah, right. And after doing that work, and now that you've asked that question, the reason St. Pete Susie existed, and I mean, I'm sure that for some of you who are listening that are my clients, you all have your own St. Pete Susies. So did Amarillo, yeah. right? And um, one of the things that I've learned from it is I'm thinking, and as, as I reflect, everything that I'm doing is I'm reminding the institutions that I have the opportunity to work with, remember St. Pete Susie, remember yeah. her life. She's gotta go pick up kids. Yep. She's gotta go visit her partner. She's gotta do whatever St. Pete Susie has to do in her normal life, get bills paid. Plus now you're sending her all these text messages. You're calling her a thousand times while she's probably driving people around. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I think I did transfer those two.
0: So what else about your, your own experience as a student do you see reflected in the wisdom and systems that you bring to other schools? You know,
1: first I'm going to talk about what else about my experience that I haven't done yet, but I can't wait to get my hands on. And that's what's going on in the classroom. I think there's a lot of um, systemic reasons that we tiptoe around what's going on in the classroom. There's a lot of ambiguity with equity and inclusion. Because we don't understand it and we don't want to talk about it, we therefore ignore it in terms of pedagogical approaches in the classroom. And I really do love what Dr. Clunas is doing here. I mean, she's Disrupting and turning the entire concept of um, what happens in the classroom on its head. And I have not tackled that space yet. And a lot of the reason that this is important to me is the best class in the world that I took was um African American history at Bethune Cookman. But the reason that I liked it, it number one, the person who taught it was a white man, right? At Bethune Cookman University. Really? Oh, I walked in that class because remember I was school in my class all oh, my whole life, you know, I went to schools that were predominantly white. And I walk in this class thinking I'm power to the people. I'm ready to be all black all day long, my freshman year. Here I am walking in this class, blonde haired, blue eyed
0: man. Black history class. Black history, okay? So you walked in really expecting to be able to, (laughs) to revel in your blackness. All
1: day, all day, and I said, I'm in, I'm supposed to be in black history. And he was like, oh, no, this is it. And I said, who's teaching it? He said, I am. I said, oh, okay. And I remember sitting down looking like, does this mean?" Best class I've ever taken really? in my life. And do you want me to tell you why? Yeah. He said exactly these words. I never was black. I was never born black. But I'm about to tell you the experiences that history allowed you to know, what history didn't want you to uh. know, and what it means as a white man. Every single class, he talked about those three buckets. It wasn't about tests, all of our tests were oral. So he would ask questions, he would call people out, and he gave grades based on comprehension. We had books, but the books, it wasn't a textbook. It was books based on the topic that he was discussing from the curriculum, and then he would reference actual books like, go get this book, you have three weeks to read it, and we're gonna come back and we're gonna have just a full dialogue and discussion. He focused on the comprehension of you understanding who are you? What's the stock that you come from? Because you have more than just your mom and dad to live for. You've got to prove a whole lot more that goes about 200 centuries back. And the reason that this is important to me is I don't feel that fire in every single classroom right, right. now. Yeah. And to me, that could be you know, ENC 101. It could be something that terrifies me. I don't know, physics. But the passion, people can see that. People can feel it. And I have to tell you, everybody doesn't have to come into these classes 100% knowing or understanding the concept. What has to happen, though, is that professor needs to know who's in that class and meet them where they are. Because that's the mission of a community college, and that's the mission of Historically Black. We wrote our mission to reflect that, and we have to live by it. So I'm most excited
0: about that. I haven't done a lot of that stuff yet, but- I couldn't be more excited. So tell me more about this class. So this it's it's clear that it was a definitive moment for for me by far. So, and you talked about his approach to the class, which is fascinating on several levels. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that we've learned at Emerald College is from Dr. Donna Beagle about poverty and how it shapes your worldview and how it shapes your learning. And the cultural experiences and familial and communal experiences Mm -hmm. that shape your ways of knowing and learning. And for those that have grown up in generational poverty that haven't had access, easy access to books and reading, it is learning is oral and it's story based and it's passed down from generation to generation Ah. in oral communication. And your professors, one of the first examples I've heard of someone acknowledging that knowledge can be demonstrated wow. in other powerful and important ways that have value. Mm. Because we don't spend our lives writing papers. We do not. We spend the majority of our lives- Talking. Telling people about what we might have written in a paper. So you, without knowing it, your oral, Learning was developed and honored. I love that. It's funny you bring that up. Can
1: I I just want to say one more yeah. thing. I'm Sorry for interrupting you. I do want to also talk about this one other professor. His name is Mr. Bernie. He was in the business building, and he did the same thing, and I never thought about it this way. He said, you've made the decision to be in business, and business is driven on communication and relationships. You will never bring a sheet of paper in this class. What you're gonna do is demonstrate that you know how to use the all of this. all so basically he said the suites. So that's you know, at that time it was the Microsoft Office yeah. suite. You're gonna show you know how to do this, but you're also going to show that you know how to speak and you know how to make eye contact. So there will never be a time that I call on you that you don't stand up, you don't say your name, you don't look at me, and you give me the answer and then you sit back down. Oral. Yeah. To your point. Oral, yeah. yeah. Sorry, what were you gonna say? I didn't Well, mean to no, I
0: you. wanna go back to this. So it wasn't just the pedagogical approach that was profound and the way he honored the students in it. This sounds fascinating from a pedagogical point and we could have a whole conversation about that. I wanna learn, I wanna know what you learned in the class about your, cuz you said he he wanted you to know what stock you came from. Mm-hmm. What did you learn about yourself in that class?
1: So he had us all do our family tree to figure out just who, who and where did we come from? Um, I think I learned so so much about like I have so much more Indian and in me than I ever knew. You know, we are from Ghana. I had no idea, obviously, and understanding the trade of how my tribe got came to United States. This talks about the journey of people who died, people who didn't yeah. die. I mean, this is just mind blowing. And then what I also understood is in life and in history. A human's responsibility as they grow is not to always believe what they read. They have to believe multiple sources, they have to read multiple sources, they have to hear from multiple people to be able to digest truly what happened. Think about the concept of Juneteenth. I don't think I know anybody, except in the past five years of course, three to five years when it's been a discussion, but anybody if I would have gone to my first job when I worked at NASCAR, if I would have gone there and said, hey, happy Juneteenth, they would have been like, what's what's a Juneteenth, yeah. what's a Juneteenth? And understanding the concept of when emancipation for black people took place and how long it took for people to know that it was actually there and it was a thing and they had been free this whole time.
0: And didn't know. And
1: didn't know. and. History didn't reflect it. I didn't learn it in high school. They didn't talk about that in high school. I learned about it for the first time as a freshman in college. college. Do you see? So yeah. what I learned is, yes, I understand that there's a history book. But guess what, if you go on the West Coast, that history book tells that same story a completely different way. And don't you go to middle America cuz that whole story is gonna be different again in a whole different way.
0: What a fascinating example to use where now Juneteenth is right. a federal holiday. Mm-hmm passed with bipartisan support with senators and congressmen from states that are now trying to pass laws that keep you from talking about it.
1: 100%,
0: yep. And it's a heartbreaking situation. Yeah, it's bizarre.
1: And what's even more heartbreaking is these talks to me is not about what has happened wrong in this country. It's about what's made this country what it is. And it's about how to heal and how to move forward and to see people past whatever you see on the surface. Because you really should like, love, or hate, or be uncomfortable because people are just likable, hateable, or weird yeah. people, right? It's not just because of the color of their skin. And it's hard to address that unless you just address it. That's it. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. So so you did a family tree, mm-hmm. yep. learned things about your family you didn't know. Yeah. How did that shape? or change what you understood or thought about yourself.
1: You know, my whole life I thought probably like most people that my mom and dad were just the smartest and the best and the most amazing people in the world. I had no idea that I had an uncle that, you know, I mean, not an uncle, a great-great uncle who after emancipation he decided to still stay on the property because his then owner who now Employer gave him 14 acres to work, to do, to have his own commerce on his own, to the point where when the gentleman gave up the land after he passed away and the family was given up the land, my uncle had enough to buy this land. And then we still own that land in Tennessee. Wow. Like I would never have known that. Wow. You know I would have never known that this land came because my uncle was able to buy it from the person that used to own him. So what does that say, right? That uh-huh. says, "I come from people who got crappy hand. Life was hard. But guess what they didn't do? They didn't just wait for the world to give them something. They went and took it. So now I have a responsibility to do the same. Do you know what I mean?
0: That gives me chills, Tremeka, because what you just described, your mm-hmm. um, great, great uncle. Um great, yeah. You reflected when you went to your pastor and you went to the dean of communication, hmm. like you were exhibiting that same kind of- I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna figure it out. I I mean, that's kind of how Swim was too. I had no idea how to start this business. (laughs) So let's talk through that then. So you you mentioned, and I not heard this about you before, but you mentioned something about NASCAR. So you Mm -hmm. obviously went from getting a degree. Mm -hmm. What did you get your degree in? Business administration, marketing. Business administration. And then you started your company, which is amazing and growing like wildfire because it's a company that doesn't. Talk about what schools should be doing, you get in the middle and teach us how to do it. Absolutely. So, how did you go from getting a degree to being a company that's trying to help colleges reimagine their processes? Oh, my
1: goodness. That's quite the journey. So, you know, my senior year of college, um, I did, before there was online learning, my learning was online. And a lot of that was because of the work that I was able to secure with NASCAR. So when we were able to make, um, we were able to secure a pretty large contract with one of the sponsors. And um, a lot of the work that I did to facilitate that process- Who is we? We, NASCAR. NASCAR was able to do it. Okay, okay. Yeah. And so part of the work to secure WebMD came from the research and the partnership and the engagement that I had. So I stayed my senior year on through- Um, up in New York to manage this contract. And so from that, the France family said, what do you want to do? Now that the companies, we've made a whole lot of money because of this. I said, I want to go back home. I want to go back to Daytona, but I also want to be in marketing. So when I took over the New York, Chicago, and LA markets for consumer marketing, I then it's interesting because I didn't know at the time that I was learning this, my boss, I'll never forget. Um, Her name was Barbara Karasik. And she Took me through this process of the fan experience, you know, going from a non-fan, how do you, how do you get non-fans to casual fans to avid fans? How do we get them to come to listen? And how do you define each one of these? And how do you get them to then consume products? Two products, five products, four products. Wow. How do you get them to then, you know, purchase a product? Enter for a sweepstakes. So then, guess what? I can then turn around and renegotiate contracts to make them larger, so right? Kind
0: of a NASCAR Susie. Um,
1: yeah, NASCAR Susie. And guess what I did? And I didn't know. I was building the soup, uh, the student funnel. Yeah. Right. Because I've literally described yeah. the funnel that we just built. Yeah. And wow, it was crazy. But I had no idea at the time. Obviously, I wasn't thinking about that. So then, from um, we had significant success over my time at NASCAR and Bill French Jr. God rest his soul. He literally called me in his office, and he took his oxygen tank mask off. And he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to own my own company. He said, well, you haven't learned enough to own your own company yet. I said, okay. Well, first, Mr. France, but wait, can I call you Bill? Because you asked me a question that was very personal. Can I call you Bill? He was like, yes, you can call me Bill. I said, so what are you going to do to teach it to me? Yep. Wow, and so he so picked what up what his response. his response was action. He picked up the phone and he called the um, head of Halifax Hospital in the area and he said, "I have a woman that I'm gonna um, have sent over now, of course, remember Bill French Jr. so he had a pediatric growing, right, okay. So he's like I'm going to I have a woman that I'm going to send over to you and if you don't interview this woman you're absolutely the craziest person to the CEO of this hospital. So I go over and I interview I have no idea about a hospital. I have no idea about anything. And so he said, "Well, tell me about yourself." And so this was probably within a week that this whole meeting ended up happening. Long story short, I ended up getting a job overseeing their ancillary services on the marketing side. So The purpose of this is so that I can understand budget, infrastructure, human resources, all of that stuff, right? Because I really didn't have to deal with that in motorsports, I was doing nothing but the theory. So this taught me the administration side. So I was in healthcare for about five years, and this is the best part of this story. The CFO um, at my last company was the wife of, do you know Dr. Bill Law? He was the prior, okay, so that was his wife. And so I told her, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna start my own company. And she said, you know, if you- Tariqa, I really think you should talk to my husband. He's struggling in a couple of areas um, down at SPC, and he wants to to explore some. options. I said, Pat, I know nothing about colleges, nothing at all. She was like, just give it a shot. So I go over and I'm talking to him, and I tell him, listen, I don't know anything about college, but you can tell me your problems, but I'm gonna do the best I can. He was like, just wait, let me tell you what's going on. So he tells me what's happening, and the whole time I'm thinking, Oh, he's trying to find a fan. Oh, He's trying to convert this. And so then I said, let me just take a look at what your enrollment funnel looks like. And he was like, "We don't. I don't know if we have one. I said, well, listen, everybody has an enrollment funnel. Whether it's good, bad, jacked up, yeah. 17 of them, that's a different story. Let me see what's going on, let me get under the hood. So I did that, unbeknownst to me, that was my first little raggedy deep dive. God yeah. bless him, if he knew what I did now compared <laughs> to what I did, then he'd ask for a <laughs> refund. And so when I started that process, I go back to him and I did our, my findings and recommendations. Cuz at this time, the swim was a person of one, Boop, right. just me, and I was in my walk-in closet. That was my office. So funny. And um, I gave him the findings and recommendations. He's like, okay, good. Can you just do it? I said, I don't, do what, Bill? Do it. He was like, execute these things. Can you help me build out my enrollment funnel? Can you help me implement a CRM? Can you help me do it? It's like, oh, okay, well, let's just, let's go. Let's, let's give it, it a shot. So there we go. That was when I had my very, very first client. That was when we invented St. Pete Susie. And from there, I mean, SWIM has just grown.
0: But again, it's another There's a theme to your lived experience. What do you mean? That I don't think you acknowledge the reason I got really emotional. (laughs) Listening to your story is how- I love you, Russell. How proud your great great uncle would be to hear (sighs) what you just articulated. Because you were talking to this man who has power and influence Mm -hmm. that you did good work for. Yes. And he's talking to you, but you probably did something that other people don't do. You advocated for yourself again, hmm. and there is great power in knowing that you have built the courage to do that, even wow. if you don't know that you did it. I really just I don't. But it's a but- it's another example of you stepping out and advocating. I if I don't if I'm not prepared, what are you going to do to get me prepared? Mm-hmm. I don't wanna be a reporter, I wanna own the station. I know I need to go to college, pastor, help me. Hmm.
1: I didn't think about it like that, Russell,
0: I really didn't. It's it's powerful, I think it speaks to the power of who you are. Because I'm sure if we spent the rest of the day talking, we would have multiple more examples where you created your own magic. By asking or courageously clarifying, Mm -hmm. And stepping into into spaces knowing that you were gonna figure it out. And it's interesting you say that, because when I think
1: about the concept of deep dives, never, ever did I wake up one day and say, I want to have a podcast. And I want that podcast to rank in the top 20 in education. No, no one thinks about that. I'm over here working on SWIM, right? I got to a point where you know, and it's so funny because a lot of them, hey, you know, Tricia, I know that you're really good friends with uh, Russell Lowry Hart. Can you ask him if I can get an invite to the um, poverty summit? No, you can ask the man. Let me give you, let me give you his email. Hey, Tricia, you know, I know you're really good with friends with Dr. Michael Bassett, and I really like what he did in his his onboarding process of how he did his restructures and how he did all of his workforce initiatives. Can you introduce? No. You can talk to him. I will introduce the two of you and he will share that information. And it just got to a point where I'm like, what has happened in higher ed is that, especially in, in, in executive leadership, we all love ourselves, right? And I'm yeah. talking about myself too. We yeah. all love ourselves so much that we think we always have to be buttoned up in three-piece suits, and we can all we always have to act like we know, we know it all, we know everything, and everything that you have done, Russell, I've done it, and I've also done it better. <laughs> right? You know, I call it the Mario syndrome because if you know anything about Mario Brothers, you know the one-up, the ding ding, yeah. one-up, So every time you say you've done something, ding, ding, oh, I've done it too, and it was great, it was better, it's actually better than what you. No. Everybody benefits when you are vulnerable and you ask for help. So when I got to a point where it was right at the pandemic time and they were like, what's such and such doing about their enrollment? I said, no, remember I did the presidential summit and I said, from there, we we need this podcast. We need to make sure that these people can come together and have real conversations. Not about their resume. I don't want to hear that stuff. Everybody knows you've earned the spots you're in. The real stuff of how did you do it? And asked- Or how did you fail at it? How did you fail at it? And asked in a way that doesn't force you to present your best self, but to present your real self.
0: Yeah. You know? So I wanna come back to Deep Dive then. Yes. Because yeah. you, and I want you to give us a preview of season two. But before we get to that, because you brought up Deep Dive and, and I think the conversations that you facilitated- reflect what you just articulated, real conversations about real issues with real people. Mm -hmm. And But what you were describing is that people are wanting you to be the go-between because they don't see executives as real people. They see them as these untouchables and you touch them, so connect me to them. But what you do in response is also what you have done your whole life. You're like, I'm not gonna, I mean, call them. Because that's what you would do. That's what I would do. Call them. (laughs) So I love when, I love the arc of your personal story because it is now impacting. You talked about St. Pete Susie. We -hmm. have AC Maria. Yep. Um, (laughs) These are real lives that, real lives, real people that will be able, whose great, great nieces, we'll be able to study and connect with and understand.
1: I'll never forget the day, Russell, that we were building the CRM for SPC and we had a cohort that we were like just watching and following, making sure they were going through the the process well. And probably maybe three years later, I don't remember, it was a period of time later. But that particular cohort had a woman with a, a name very similar to mine. So I was able to kind of just, I just remembered it, right? And so I was at the graduation, so I don't know if you know this, but I'm such a lame person. Anytime I'm in town and there's a graduation happening for any community colleges, I'm going, because to me, it's those are generations that have been changed yeah. by one person walking across the stage. Yeah. My favorite time of every single year is the May graduations, right? So this woman comes across the stage with a baby on her hip, and she looks up and she said, this is for you, mom. And that was the girl that was in my CRM. They didn't have it. Do you know what that means? Yeah. Think about that. And I think I came back and told my <laughs> director of strategy and logistics, that's it, only higher ed at this point. We're not doing anything else. That was and the we moment. All, that was the moment. And I off boarded all of my other clients, All my NASCAR, my SeaWorld, gone. All of them gone. And that was 100%. Hard. And I remember she looked at me and she said, well, what are we gonna do? I said, I don't know, we're gonna figure it out. But if I can get anybody. To be as passionate about what I am doing by just seeing one human walk across the stage that we were able to change, there's nothing that this company can't do. And I mean, we had one client at the time, one client. And I'm telling her, well, one higher ed client. And I'm telling her, get rid of all the other ones. Let's get them sunset. So first of all, she thinks I'm half crazy. (laughs) But now, I mean, you know, 30 clients later, here we are and we're all over the country. Yeah. And in such a short period of time. I mean, Russell, this was seven years.
0: So tell me. You talked to us about your first client yep. and that process. Mm-hmm. What happened between the first client and finding and building a relationship with the second one?
1: So, after Tanja received all of the recognition for the work that she did with the college experience, and we both know and love Tanja, right? Yeah. So, she did exactly what she does. And she told Shattered from the rooftops yeah. the work that Swim did because of just the amount of shift that this college made in just one year for their students of color. They were able to track and measure and scale out for the entire institution in just a year. So she had a lot of talks, she had a lot of speeches, and God bless her. First thing she said, "Oh, I did it all with Swim, do you know Swim? And I mean, we probably, I co-presented with her that probably three, four times, and then we went from one client, then we went to three clients, and then we went I, I don't even remember the, sk- the jump from there. But what I will say is that we have grown. swim. We've had opportunities to grow over 100% year over year for the past four years.
0: That's incredible. You've told us why you built the company and what drives it. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your vision for your company? Hmm. I think what's most
1: important for SWIM right now is for my team to really understand And believe in the impact. So my vision for SWIM is that it's not just me and my leadership that gets emotional at graduations. I want it all the way down to my interns, for them to understand that Jane walking across that stage has now changed the life, not just for Jane, but for Jane's children.
0: Right? And I think- And Jane's grandchildren. And Jane's grand,
1: thank you. And great-grandchildren. Absolutely. And I think from an industry perspective, my vision, and I'm talking about position, just brand position and, and view right now. My hope is, is that the rawness and the realness and the directness and the roll up your sleeves and get the work doneness, I know that's not a word, but it permeates throughout the entire industry so that SWIM can be a part of you know, really reaching into these communities, reaching into these schools and pulling these guidance counselors and these students and these parents along and love them into that application yeah. because we have people that want a better life they don't know where to go and we also have staff we have pro- we have processes and people and policies that can sometimes get in the way of getting those people i want this industry to understand yes you do but guess what you don't have to and I'm not the company that's afraid to get fired if I'm getting ready to have a conversation that's authentic and real, because St. Pete Susie's getting 17 text messages, she's gotta stop. And so what I hope is that when people start to get the stomach to wanna have those conversations, they know we're the company to call. Now. If they don't want those conversations, guess what company they should not call Because you know Russell. I yeah. mean, it is not an easy conversation, but no. the best relationships that we could ever possibly have are with those same people that didn't or scared or were worried in the beginning.
0: Think about some of the people on your team. Exactly. And I think the power of what we built together, and I know you've that we aren't unique in this. Is mm-hmm. the power of your vision is that you're not the typical consultant and consulting company that comes in, studies, and then gives you a list of recommendations. No, that's not gonna happen. And says, good luck. You're like, you come in, understand. You don't come in and study. You come in to understand what's happening for the student and the employee and the college. And then you're like, we gotta fix it. Here's how we can. And then you help us do it. That's unique. What was it? Because most consulting firms, um, like the clean and easy of coming in and tell you what you've screwed up and telling you how, how you should fix it, and then they move on to the next. What drove you to be the one that's like, I'm not going to tell you how to fix it, I'm going to help you do it? That was an easy one. I
1: was on the client side my entire life and my career until I started Swim Digital Group, right? So I had a whole bunch of companies coming in telling me how messed up my stuff was, and then they peace out. And I'm like, well, what the hell? You were supposed <laughs> to help me fix it. I know how to read. And I see my 92 things I need to fix, but I don't have 92 times. Yeah. I gotta work. Eight to five, I already have a job. Now you just gave me 92 more things to do. At what point? So I knew when I was going to start this business, I was not going to be that company. I wasn't gonna be the company to tell everybody that they're wrong. These are all the ways you're wrong. And then hold my nose up and walk off, right? And I'm also not going to be that company that when you see me at conferences, you're going to be like, oh, they're so amazing. And they're so, they're going to be like, oh my God, you don't know Tremiga, you don't know Paige, you don't know such and such. Oh, come on, come here, come here, come here, they're my people. That's what I want. Because the work we do requires you to be vulnerable, and it requires you to be authentic and honest so that we can get under the hood and see what's going on. So I need to make sure that my presidents, my leadership, my administrators, they feel that we are here to help. We are not here to dictate or to pontificate on the theories of life and enrollment management. We
0: wanna do it. I think what was the most exciting about our experience and and it's scary because executives get in these roles and they're just trying to manage Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. and
0: sometimes trying to manage and not lead. And management means trying to keep the peace and leadership means building systems of effectiveness and if we're going to improve things there aren't going to be peace and you had several <laughs> exactly times right. conversations where you came in and shut the door <laughs> I did. and like Russell Russell are you going to deal with that <laughs> I did. And, and then it i was just sit how, there and you would sit there and wait for me to just like yes i'm going to deal with it or i think in one example i'm like Tremika I need six months,
1: and you did and yeah. you and you
0: did your hand just like that. You were like,
1: <laughs> Oh my God, he ran his head. you ran your head through your hair, and you're like, Lady, you're killing me. Just
0: give me six months, okay? Now and, and I gave you the six months you did. but you I wasn't surprised by what you said. Honestly, I was secretly hoping that you were going to tell me I was wrong. But the power in what you provided wasn't just identifying what was wrong. You gave us a way to fix it, mm-hmm. and then the very people that were scared shitless about mm-hmm. what you were proposing and were at risk because they didn't know how to do it are now high performers in the organization. Amazing, because what you bring is when you're bringing a perspective to fix systems. It often, obviously, it we're an example of 30 other schools that have had this experience with you, where we now have. A robust, effective CRM. We have a communication plan. We've aligned efforts across divisions, but you didn't just fix systems. You helped fix people. But you you did it lovingly, but direct. And in higher ed, we not direct. Mm-mm. We wanna we don't want to tell people, hey, you got a problem, this isn't working. We wanna reassign you, mm-hmm. or we wanna make the environment so terrible that you that just you choose to leave. Instead of figuring out how we can honor you by saying, this isn't working, but let me help you figure it out. Mm-hmm. It's powerful what you've built, and I'm just Thank grateful you. to be on the receiving end of it. So I'm honored to have this conversation and in, uh, in deep dive. I was honored to be on the other side of the table because you asked me questions about myself. How does it feel to be on this side? It's wonderful because <laughs> I, I have such a- um, Don't get too comfortable. I have a- I have a deeper love for you and I didn't think that was possible. Stop, I love you so much. I have a deeper love for you, hearing your own connections and how you built on them. And I've enjoyed being on this side of the table and seeing you connect dots that you hadn't connected about your own journey to the point, that's That's really powerful to me. So thank you for letting me be a part of this. Thank you for doing this, it means so much to me. so tell me more about deep dive and what season two is gonna look like.
1: Okay, so I'm so excited about season two. And the reason I'm excited is uh, season one, you know, I pulled in, I called in all my favors with all my heavy hitters, right? Y'all just really <laughs> knocked season one out of the park. And season two. I've had to really push my own limits. So a lot of these people are not my clients. It was, these are people that I have researched, we've learned as much as we possibly could about them, so that we would be able to genuinely bring our listeners nationwide, the best of the best, whether I know them or not, you're getting ready to hear some really good stuff, right? Awesome. I'm excited about our season kickoff. So, um, of course, this is our preseason to let everybody know how amazing season two is going to be. And then our season kickoff is Madeline Pumariega. Oh, wow. Oh, and I mean, and she's talking about um, what she did in her first 100 days as the president of the largest community college in the country. I mean, obviously, we know and love Dr. Linda Garcia from SESI. She's just given us some amazing information on some new research and data that she's working on. And we all know and love, and probably are all slightly nervous around. Similarly, Josh Weiner, um, with uh, we're talking a lot about uh, the work that he and Davis Jenkins are doing together. So, season two—I mean, there's so many more. I already told you that Greg's on the show. I just—I cannot imagine a year ago if somebody would have told me season two would have been just as powerful as season one. I wouldn't have been seen how it would be possible.
0: That season two is gonna be more powerful than season one.
1: I can't tell you enough how this has been no different than any other time that we're sitting together having a glass of wine at a conference just catching up and I cannot emphasize enough how
0: much I love you, Russell Lowry Hart. I love you too. So I got two questions. Any of them, ask me anything. Being on the other side of the table, what has surprised you about this experience?
1: That it is far easier than I thought it would be, and you're able if you allow yourself, you forget that you're on. Yeah, you're in front of a microphone. You forget, and you just have a conversation. I know you and I talked about StoryCorps. I literally, I feel like we're doing an episode of StoryCorps. Yeah,
0: that was my hope too that we could just talk. Yeah. So, final question: Mm -hmm. When your great great niece is in A history class Mm -hmm. and having to write about or learn about her family tree and she happens upon this amazing soul who's in her pathway what do you want her to write about you
1: wow i would hope that she writes that i'm fearless and that i have shown her that this world can be anything she just has to wear the right glasses
0: That's what I hope. I have no doubt that she will. Thank you. Thank you for sharing yourself with us. Thank you, Russell. Love you.
1: Love you too. Well, there you have it. That's me. That's Trameka Benjamin. And thank you all so much for listening to this very special and personal episode of Deep Dives with Trameka Benjamin. And I have to admit, it was probably one of the most vulnerable and revealing experiences that I've ever had, but I would have never anticipated having that much of a good time being that vulnerable, but I did. And I wanna give another thank you to Dr. Russell Larry Hart. Not only is he my dear friend, but he is just an inspiration to me and to so many people all over the country as they strive to bring equity and equality to students who are in need. Thank you for being a part of this episode, Russell, and thank you for helping me create a safe space to be this vulnerable and this authentic. I'm looking forward to sharing more stories and challenges, difficulties, how hard it is to make some of these complex and innovative decisions. And you're going to hear every single one of these on season two of Deep Dives with Tremeka Benjamin. The very first episode will premiere next week and you can listen at www.deepdivestv.com or on your favorite podcast subscription service. So thank you all so much again for your support and joining us for season two. And I will see you on the other side.